Thanks for listening to the Faith Radio podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. I'm Carmen LaBerge. I hope you enjoy. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Welcome to Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen on this 5th of July, 2023. I hope hope there were the right kind of fireworks in your life um, last night and not the wrong kind, right? That's always a good good note. Um, If you haven't visited us recently at MyFaithRadio.com, I encourage you to do so. Always love to check in with you and what's going on. So uh, let us hear from you, your prayer requests, and um, love to hear your stories and testimonies as well. Speaking of stories and testimonies, we had um, Greg Ekbong on a few days ago, uh, maybe a couple weeks ago now. And one of the things that I just felt compelled to share in that conversation with him was um, the note that everybody has a story and that your personal story, your personal, let's say, testimony, for those of you who speak Christianese, um, is a very, very powerful tool that God put in your toolbox. And I wonder if you're using it. And you may say to yourself, well, I don't have a story. I don't have a story like Greg's. Like Greg's story is just, wow, like crazy. Um, But you do have a story. Your personal story is undeniable and people actually want to hear it. So I want to encourage you today to think of the ways in which God appears in your story and how you could cultivate the telling of your own story in such a way where God gets to be the central figure, the central character, you get to point to him as a part of expressing to others that that's what you believe. God's not an idea. God's a real person. God shows up. You, when you're talking about um, your walk with God, like you don't have to make direct references to Bible verses. You don't have to say things like my church teaches. Um, I recognize those are authorities for you. They're authorities for me as well. Um, but they're not necessarily accepted as authoritative for other people. So I'm going to encourage you as you are learning to tell your story to stick with statements that begin with things like, well, in my experience, or I've come to see, or it occurs to me, or my study leads me to believe, like those kinds of things are disarming. You own them personally. You're not suggesting that the other person has to believe the same thing. Uh, It's important also to talk about the dark valleys, the times of doubt, the wounds, the wanderings. Your conversation partners, the people you're talking with, they know pain. They know loneliness. But God has um, wired them and he has wired you and he has wired me for relationship, deep relationship. He's also wired us to desire a restored relationship with him, with ourselves, with one another. And so if you're able to tell your story and you're not afraid to show where your path took you into the wilderness or where you wandered, then you're going to actually find um, that other people resonate with your story and your willingness to be vulnerable in the midst of it. So you might be thinking right now, I I don't have a story. (laughs) I don't have a story. 
And let me say, that's simply not true. So I want to encourage you to grab a piece of paper and I want you to like draw your life on a timeline from conception to the present. Yes, conception. If you know the circumstances of your conception, you know, jot them down on there um, and lead it all the way up to the present day. And then, you know, you you basically draw like a, a hills and valley kind of map. You fill in the highs and the lows. Um, you fill in the in-betweens. Maybe there have been a lot of like what you consider boring plateaus. Well, things happened during those uh, phases of life as well. So um, start with your conception. Were your parents married, unmarried? Um, are you the product of IVF or rape? Do you even know who your father is? How about the circumstances of your birth? Were you a preemie? Were you adopted? Were you born with a particular condition? What have you survived? Are you a cancer survivor? Are you living with chronic pain or disability or an amputation? Were you a standout athlete? Did you win the lottery? Are you divorced, widowed, never married, wishing you were? Are you childless but wish you weren't? Have you walked with somebody that you love to the end of the valley of the shadow of death and then come back through the grief to a life that's redefined? Were you a prodigal? Do you have a history directly or indirectly of addiction? Did someone you love take their own life? Have you ever been homeless or hungry or unable to pay your bills? Have you been to war or suffered the post-dramatic stress of, of it or with someone you love? Is your child not like all the other kids? Do you have an eating disorder? Were you a victim of assault or abuse? Have you ever been to jail or arrested? You have a story. You have a story. Where did God meet you along the way? Where did God show up and surprise you? When did God save you from yourself or from someone else or from fear or from doubt or from sin or from death? You have a story. I'm going to encourage you to write your story down or record it or tell it to someone. You could even say, hey, I just want to, I just want to try something out. I had this, I've got this crazy friend named Carmen and she really encouraged me to like find, find my voice and my story. And so I need to practice with somebody. And so would you be the person I could practice with? And, you know, that's a, nobody's going to say no, they're going to say yes. And then be open to, to, to ask them at the end of that, you know, are there, Places where you felt like you really felt my story. And that will lead you into a conversation about why they felt at that point in your story. Like, why did that resonate with them in a particular way? That's what you're looking for with other people, by the way. You're looking for those moments of resonance between your story and their story. Because at that intersection, you as a believer are going to have an opportunity to say, hey, I see God right there. I see God right there in the midst of it. We're going to talk with our friend Bill English today um, about uh, working for a difficult boss. Um, we're going to talk about the reality in which many people find themselves. Maybe you find yourself and you're saying, I, I'm on this holiday and I have to go to back to work uh, tomorrow or the next day. And maybe I just need some coping and some help with that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Bill English is back. You can connect with him at BibleAndBusiness.com. Good morning, Bill. Hey, good morning. How are you, Carmen? I, I am well. I am well. I have a wonderful boss. I have a series of wonderful bosses. I work in an organization that um, encourages me. Not everyone is going to work today for a good and godly, wonderful boss. So can we talk about working for a difficult boss? Absolutely. All right. So it's your brand new book, Working for a Difficult Boss. Um, you, people can pre-order it. I don't think it's dropped yet, um, but you can uh, you can get there through BibleandBusiness.com um, or, you know, directly in all of the places that sell the books. Um, so talk with us about the reality um, of the very, very high percentage of Americans who, although they are going to work, which is a good thing, are not going to work at a place where there is a boss who is affirming, encouraging, and lifting them up. Well, yeah, the uh, we estimate uh, that, you know, 158 million people are going to go to work today. And when you boil the numbers down, you're going to find that about out of those 158 million, 40 million of them are Christians. 30 million of those 40 million are going to be working for a really difficult boss. And America's solution to, to, um, to people who have bad bosses is to say, you just got to leave and go find another job. But the reality is, uh, many times when you leave one difficult boss, you end up in a place where you have another difficult boss. And so, as I, I was always intrigued with this notion that Daniel um, worked for some really difficult kings. He was in a difficult spot, really, his whole life, from the time he was deported from Israel until the time he died in Babylon. And yet he maintained his faithfulness to God. He he uh, gave an excellent work product, and he was a witness for Yahweh at the highest levels uh, of Babylonian uh, politics at that time, right? And so sometimes I think that God calls us to work for a really, a, a boss that's just basically a horse's patoot, Right. And this can be in ministry or it can be in business. Some There are some pastors here who are very difficult to work with. They might be highly gifted communicators and uh, very knowledgeable in the pulpit and excellent leaders, but they're just really, really, they can be meaner than a junkyard dog behind closed doors. And so how do you work for, how do you work for these guys and gals with these guys and gals? Um, and I think that Daniel's life gives us a lot of insight into how to do that. All right. You're also teaching through this book on your YouTube channel. I want to make people aware of that. So you can um, actually uh, join in with Bill in a study of of the book on YouTube. Um, you're going to look for Bible and business. Um, why Daniel? Like, why use Daniel as our exemplar here? You know, when I when I thought about this whole concept, I you know there, I thought about Joseph, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but that mm-hmm. was more of a betrayal, and we didn't have a lot of interaction recorded between him and Pharaoh, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the the more I kind of circled the drain on on who to use, um, I I was thinking about Daniel being chased by uh, Saul, but that really wasn't a very healthy relationship. In other words, um, not, not Daniel, I'm sorry, David, David, David yeah. being chased we, we by it. Saul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so um, 
that just didn't quite fit what I was after because I was trying to write a book for the mid and upper level Christian manager in a for-profit business. No one writes for this group, right? Everybody writes for the leaders or for the for the kind of the grunt worker who works at at the bottom of the food chain, so to speak. But nobody writes for that mid-level manager who is trying to serve God in business. They usually have a team or project that they're responsible for. So they have to manage down. They have colleagues uh, that they have to manage sideways. And they have bosses, usually more than one, that they have to manage up with. And they get squeezed a lot. And so I was looking for somebody uh, in the Bible who had a similar kind of position, and I thought Daniel was it. So that's why I chose Daniel. All right, we're going to talk about being a person of influence um, as a Christian in your workplace, managing down, managing sideways, managing up. What does that look like? It's vocational discipleship. It's based in understanding and recognizing God's unique gifting to you as an individual. And so, um, you know, I, I want to uh, take two uh, approaches here. One, if you're headed to work and you have a difficult boss, um, we want we want you to know you're prayed for. We want to bless you, and we want to recommend um, Bill's brand new book to you, which you can find at BibleandBusiness.com. Working for a difficult boss. I also want to say this: if you are a difficult boss. Um, yes. You know, we, we got a word for you today as well. So you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Did you Bill know English that whatever you're experiencing right today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it? We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of Second Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing, the suffering, the challenges, the questions. God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation with Bill English from BibleandBusiness.com. We're talking about Bill's brand new book, Working for a Difficult Boss. Many, many people are going to go to work today for a difficult boss. And let me just say this. If you are a difficult boss, stop it. I know that would be a really short book, but there you go. Bill, talk (laughs) with us. (laughs) Well, I actually have a two-page appendix in my book if you're the difficult boss. <laughs> okay, well, read us in on that. Ta- ta- if if you are the difficult boss, what does Bill English have to say to you this morning? Uh, well, you, you know, actually, you got to work on yourself. You need coaching. You need mentoring. You may need psychological therapy. And, and you need to submit yourself to a group of people who are going to speak truth into your life. Um, usually a difficult bosses have prof and this is just true of all people, right? This isn't just true of bosses, but they have profound wounds from their past. They are, they are broken people 
and their brokenness comes out in anger and control and uh, being offensive, bullying, that kind of thing. Those wounds from the past need to be healed. And uh, finally, what I suggest is that you cannot do this on your own. You have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ because only Jesus Christ can transform us from the inside out and take us from being carnal, cussed, ornery people into people who love and have a gentility and have a faith in God that only comes through the Holy Spirit. So that's the summary of that. Carnal, cussed, what was the third one? Ornery? Ornery. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think that would have been a really good book title. Anyway. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, right? Um, talk with us about managing down, managing sideways, and managing up. Daniel actually, like, does all of these. He does. Mm-hmm. He does. And uh, we, we see that in a number of, of places in the first uh, chapter of Daniel. Managing down, there's a ton of books on that. You know, we're, I'm taking my management team right now through Harvard Business Review's uh, new manager book. You know, so so you're a new manager. What what should you expect? There's a lot of wisdom uh, that's out there on the market today about how to manage down. Managing sideways is all about influence and relationships because you don't have any positional authority, right? So managing sideways is developing relationships and sometimes paying it forward a little bit with somebody else so that perhaps you can ask for a favor in return down the road. Managing up is all about understanding how your boss is going to be measured, what's important to your boss, and what can you do to help your boss be successful? How can you help your boss achieve what he or she needs to achieve whether it really helps you or not is somewhat beside the point. And it's not really brown nosing. We're not kissing up here, but it's, it's just genuinely understanding. This is what my boss is facing. What can I do to help my boss? When you manage up like that, you are not just, it's not about ingratiating yourself, but you're going to put yourself in a position of trust and confidence with your boss that maybe some of your team members won't have because they didn't think, to manage up properly. I don't think that um, a lot of people maybe spend a lot of time thinking about the managing sideways or the managing up component. Um, Correct. But it's, it's, it's always happening. Those are relationships that always have to be managed. I mean, we manage all of our relationships. So um, we're managing down might be actually managing performance and managing, I mean, like managing in the traditional sense. I think one of the things you're helping us do, Bill, is think about managing as stewardship of relationships. And I I steward all of my relationships in every direction, not just the ones that, you know, go up a proverbial chain. Yeah, because business in the end, and really ministry, in fact, all of life, okay, it's really about relationships. You, the the most successful people in life are people who do relationships well, not just in terms of sharing their feelings and getting to know other people, but as, certainly in terms of managing conflict, understanding what makes another person tick and, and what's motivating that person and how they can get a group of people rowing in the same direction to achieve what God has called them to achieve or to, you know, 
finish a project at, at work or whatever. So much of our success in life is not based on strategy or tactics. It's based on relationships. So good. Um, Bill, um, maybe we could spend time in the in the coming weeks and months just unpacking um, a few of the chapters of, of the book so that we can get a little more deeply into it. Would that be, would you come back and we could do that? Oh, I'd be happy to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, I think getting to know Daniel and how he responded, um, he's such a wonderful exemplar of so many godly attributes in terms of the character and the ways of God. Um, and there's a lot for us to learn from him. So thank you for um, putting it together in a book. And then thank you for walking with us in this journey. The book is Working for a Difficult Boss. It's brand new. You can uh, find the link to it at bibleandbusiness.com or via all of Bill's social media. You can also, um, you know, find it where they sell the books. Working for a Difficult Boss. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. We got to take a break for Breakpoint. been um, posting on social media lately. Uh, If you follow me on all of the socials, you will recognize I'm not super active on social media. I mean, from time to time, and sometimes it sort of happens in (laughs) flurries. Like, I'll be like, oh, I just want to post some stuff on Twitter. And then I'm like silent for a week or whatever. Yeah. So what are you posting on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or social media? Are you active in those spaces and places? A lot of people are active on social media. And so I took interest um, recently to note um, this survey. I think that's the right lingo from Pew Research. And they were asking about um, why people follow or unfollow people on social media and the kinds of things that people who post religious content on social media, um, why they do that, um, what apps they use to do that, and then the reaction to it by other people. So here's what I found super interesting. So this is from Pew Research. Um, Some Americans, some Americans, this doesn't surprise anybody, use social media for religious purposes. They post prayer requests. They follow religious leaders like Carmen LaBerge. It doesn't actually say that at PewResearch.org, but it should. Um, Or they share articles or videos about religion. It should also say they share podcasts they like, like Mornings with Carmen. It also doesn't say that, but it should. All right. So what makes people post online or on social media about religious content? And then what kind of impression does that make? Well, here was the disturbing part. (laughs) 17% of American adults have unfollowed, unfriended, blocked, or changed their settings in order to see less of someone on social media because that person posts religious content. And I thought to myself, huh, well, there's people out there who are actively unfriending, unfollowing, blocking, or otherwise changing their settings so that they see less of me and the things that I say and the things that I talk about. And so when I turn and I ask you to be an ambassador of this show, to share the things that bless you with other people, hey, I might just go ahead and recognize and acknowledge that might lead to other people, at least some other people, unfollowing, unfriending, blocking or changing their settings related to you. 
And so I thought, I better tell people like that this is out there and this is happening. But here's the good news in all of this. 25% of the people who were surveyed actually listen at some point uh, during in a given week to some kind of Christian broadcasting. That's pretty amazing, right? Um, I, I thought that was pretty extraordinary. So we're going to um, re-air a conversation we had with Jasmine Holmes. The book is Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. And let me um, let me say this. We've got copies to give away. We have a number of copies of this book to give away, Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. Um, and so I want to encourage you to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies that we have of Never Cast Out. My conversation with Jasmine Holmes in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. He put that hunger in your heart. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. What a delight to have Jasmine Holmes back with us today. We've talked with her on a prior occasion about her book, Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. She's joining us today um, with her latest book, Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. Jasmine, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me again. So um, I'm so, so, so tempted to um, just simply start with... I, how I would start if you and I were sitting down over a cup of coffee, like in real life, and just say, as a mom of a black son, um, you know, how are you feeling in the culture today? Um, and just to say, I'm, I'm, I'm living with an awareness. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's been really overwhelming lately, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, um, first of all, thank you for being honest and transparent and helping others of us who do not, I I know I don't live in your skin. I don't, I don't share that experience. Um, But I want to be a good sister in Christ. And so thank you for the ways that you help me understand all of that um, by giving me a window into, um, into what your life is like. So thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Um, let's talk about shame. I mean, you know, here's a, here's a, here's a fun, uh, fuzzy topic, right? Shame. Um, but there's so much shame in our culture. There's so much shame in our lives. It it is something that we don't often talk about. So get us started in this conversation. Why is it important to have this conversation? Um, and where would you like to start? Yeah. I mean, shame is such a nebulous kind of emotion. It's it's a feeling that we all have that we're all familiar with, but I don't think a lot of us really name it in the moment. And so just even the process of naming that sinking feeling of humiliation that we have when we have done something wrong or done something that we feel is embarrassing or that we've done something that we feel kind of puts eyes on us. Um, it's it's such a vulnerable thing. Um, and so in writing this book, even like pegging down that vulnerable feeling and investigating it, I just wanted to see what the gospel had to say about it and how we could manage it and move forward um, as people who have been bought with the blood of Christ, who has, of course, taken care of all of the shame, um, but who also just aren't in heaven yet. And so still have to kind of grapple with it on earth. 
So in preparation for this conversation, um, I tried to give a little thought to, like, where are all the places that I experience this in my own life? And um, body shaming certainly makes the list. When I was single um, and, you know, trying to operate in, uh, you know, in, in the context of an evangelical church where everyone's expected to be married, um, you know, like there's single shaming and or marriage shaming. I don't know which one. Um, as a person who, you know, I've never had my own kids, I definitely experience mom shaming. I also oh. experience stepmom shaming. <laughs> that's a whole new, that's a whole different thing. I have experienced um, like educational shaming. Like you have a kid in public school. What? You have a kid in private oh. school. What? Yeah. You, you homeschool. You don't homeschool. Like I'm just like, and then the whole like political shaming, religious shaming, you're what kind of Baptist or what kind of Presbyterian or you're a Baptist or you're a Presbyterian. I mean, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, so shame is a huge part of how we operate, but we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And in all of those areas that you talked about, I mean, like, especially, especially for women, you know, this book isn't specifically like only for women, but women uniquely experience the emotion of shame. I think like Brene Brown has done so much research about how women um, have kind of this unique aspect of our culture where we constantly feel shame for doing um, anything, whether it's like staying single, getting married, or um, for me, you know, working outside the home or like staying at home, homeschooling or sending our kids to school or, you know, all of the above, <laughs> everything you said. And it just kind oh, of vaxxing or not vaxxing. You and I oh, could make a list. We could totally yes. make a list. It, yeah. Yes, <laughs> we absolutely could. We absolutely could. And it's not even to say, you know, it's not even that all of those things that we mentioned are morally neutral not even that there isn't like a right choice or a wrong choice for your family or for somebody else's family but the shame just kind of like can paralyze and isolate and and that's kind of the thing that we're wanting to that I that I really wanted people to um have the gospel speak into in this book yeah and you do it in such a great way so let's explore the story of the birth of shame because you take us to the garden and then the death of shame because you take us to the cross so when I was first thinking about writing um, this book, I was talking to a friend of mine and she mentioned um, that in her ministry called Pericoleo, they talk about fig leaves. And I was like, fig leaves? She's like, yeah, like Adam and Eve, they're fig leaves. It's the things that we try to use to cover up shame. And fig leaves are not a great way to cover up the shame because one stiff breeze and they get blown away. And <laughs> her conversation, like our conversation together just really shaped so much of the book, thinking about the birth of shame in the garden, like that very first feeling of wanting to hide after they had sinned, right? Adam and Eve had walked with God. They'd walked with him in the cool of the day. They had only known him. They'd only known love from him. But as soon as they did something wrong, instead of calling out to him and running to him, they ran away and they hid. And their hiding place wasn't great because God is omnipotent. He knew exactly where they were. Um, and so when God found them, he kind of gives a, well, not even kind of, he gives a um, an illustration of how shame is eventually going to be taken care of. He sacrifices, he takes an animal he kills it, he takes the skin and he gives it to his children and covers them up in clothes that a stiff breeze is not going to blow away and tells them in Genesis 3.15 that the end of their shame is coming, that Jesus is coming, that he is going to take care of their shame and their sin. And 
there's there's an end of shame that happens at the cross when Jesus does come, when he takes on all of our sin and shame. The Bible tells us that he carries our shame. Um, but then just like with all of the evil in the world, there is a final death knell that will come when Jesus returns again and takes care of everything and wraps it all up in a nice and pretty bow. Mm. Um, We're going to continue our conversation with Jasmine Holmes in just a moment. The book is Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. Are you experiencing um, shame of one variety or another? Are you wondering like, all right, I get it. I mean, I get the beginning of the story of shame and I get its death um, at the cross of Jesus. But man, I am wrestling with it every single day. We're going to have Jasmine equip us to wrestle with the reality of Maybe it's like the shadow of shame that still exists until Jesus returns. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Did you know that whatever you're experiencing today, whatever you're going through, the suffering, the challenges, the questions you have, God has something to say to you about all of it? We have an ongoing Reading Through the Bible Together series at MyFaithRadio.com, and we're exploring what God says about suffering, truth, and godliness. We're reading the book of 2 Timothy together. Did you know that God has given not a spirit of fear, but that God has given you a spirit of power and love and a sound mind? I mean, how cool is that? It's in 2 Timothy that God's Word says of itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that every person um, might be complete and equipped for every good work. So I'm wondering, would you join us in reading the Bible together at MyFaithRadio.com that you might be equipped through God's Word for the good works that He's prepared in advance just for you, and that you might discover that God is with you right now in whatever you're experiencing, the suffering, the challenges, the questions, God's got something to say about all of it. Join us at MyFaithRadio.com in reading the Bible together. This is a special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation now with Jasmine Holmes, we're talking about never cast out, how the gospel puts an end to the story of shame. All right, Jasmine, um, the story of shame begins in the Garden of Eden. We recognize that, you know, it, it died at the cross, but we still like we still live with the shadow of shame and it casts darkness over so much like help help us wrestle with it in real time. So when I had um, turned in my book, I literally like sent off a copy of the book that day um, was all done. And my husband and I were out running errands, dropping the boys off, doing some stuff, came back home and the house was a mess. My husband looked at me and he said, um, Oh, this house is a mess. Like we got to do better. And he literally said, we have to do better. And I heard this house is a mess. You're a bad wife. And I expect you to clean up after me. And so I immediately turned around and looked at him and was just like, ready to just all out. Are you, take it to the river, drop it in the water, like, just let's go. And so we get back in the car and like, I just kind of have, I have an attitude he can tell and, but he doesn't say anything. We drive where we're going. And before he gets out of the car, I kind of like reach over and I'm like, I feel like my anger at you was a response to the shame that I felt when you said what you said. And he just looks at me and he's like, wow okay, like we're getting somewhere because we've had this conversation so many times where in my life, I, I have a temper, I have a 
quick temper. And so when shame comes at me, my response is usually anger. And it's usually like, how can I, it's indignation. It's like, how dare you? And so we had a conversation where I was like, I, this is how I feel. I feel like the house is my responsibility. I feel like I'm the wife. I'm supposed to keep it clean. I'm supposed to keep it tidy. And my husband was able to speak into that and be like, we both live in the house. We're both adults who live in the house. We've both been really busy. We both need to figure out how to how to make our house work for us. And we do that together. It's not just your responsibility. But that could not have, that conversation could not have happened and could not have gone as smoothly if I wasn't able to identify the shame that immediately cropped up in my response. Now, my husband wasn't trying to shame me at all. Like he was just being a man and making a, like making a statement. Um, But sometimes people are trying to shame in the things that they say, you know, somebody could come over and be like, wow, Hmm, so you're a working mom. I can tell. I can tell by the dust on the floorboard. You know, somebody could give me an invitation, right, to feel shame. But something that I've also learned is just because somebody invites you to feel shame doesn't mean that you have to RSVP. Like you can, you can say no. You can let them, mm. you can opt out. You can opt out of the shame spiral. You can opt out of even going there. It can just be a simple um, and right, the steps are simple, even though it doesn't feel simple, even though it's an ongoing process. Um it can be as simple as saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to take this to God and I'm going to see what his word says. I'm going to see what the truth of his word says. And I'm just going to sit with him and let him sit with me in this kind of invite him into the feeling and just really trust that he is going to reveal what needs to be revealed in your life. You know, whether it be, maybe I do need to grow in X, Y, Z area, or maybe I just need to let stuff roll off my back. Um, the wonderful thing is that we have the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom for each individual um, case that comes up. Um, so one of the things you've reminded me of there, Jasmine, first of all, I think I am more often your husband in that conversation. And just when you described that interaction, like I was just so convicted about a text I recently sent to somebody. And I actually said in relationship to something we need to do better and mm-hmm. I feel fairly certain, since she hasn't replied, I feel fairly certain she received that as a condemnation of her. And so mm-hmm. I'm now g- going to be responsible to circle back around and, and certainly communicate my intent, even though I can't, I can't heal what I'm sure is now broken, like, right? But I can, I can at least say that was not my intent and, um, and I will... Um, and I will personally commit to doing better on that front. Talk to those of us who um, do wield shame as a weapon, and sometimes we know it. Can you talk to the shamers? Absolutely. Um, it's so often pride. It's it's a mm-hmm. we don't want to be vulnerable. We mm-hmm. want to we we want to have a shield, and shame becomes that shield, and shaming others becomes that shield. You know, instead of saying. Like, I I think really often, especially with me, when I have a feeling of going up to another woman and wanting to shame her for a choice that she's making, sometimes I'm jealous because she seems free in an area that I'm not free. And Mm. so, you know, simple as like, oh, you homeschool your kids? Oh, wow. 
I'm going to judge you for that because maybe I would like to homeschool my kids, but it seems really hard. And you think you're better than me because you're doing what would be hard for me or walking into somebody's house. For me, it's the opposite, right? Again, like dust on my floorboard. So walking into somebody else's house and being like, oh, wow, it's so clean. I guess you don't have time to do anything else because you're just home cleaning all day. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like just, just that trying to demean others because you feel an insecurity because you feel like, you know, you can't be vulnerable and you can't say, Hey, I, I like, I feel intimidated. I feel intimidated by the situation for whatever reason. And I need to take that to Jesus. We use shame as, um, as the shield instead of running to God. And really that's just, that is the crux. That's what we come back to. It's like in Sunday school when the answer is always Jesus, um, <laughs> coming back over and over again to just sitting with him, with our emotions and really letting him show us where our emotions have um really led us astray led us away from him and led us out of community with people that we should be moving towards in love um but we're like putting up shame as a shield against that love and connection jasmine offers um a lot of practical and powerful ways to fight shame in our daily lives um one of the things i really appreciate jasmine that you talk about is um the the better covering, the better image, the better message. Um, and again, that's sort of the Jesus, uh, you know, every answer in Sunday school is Jesus. Well, actually, every answer in relationship to this is Jesus. Can you can you highlight that again for us? Yes. Um, just when we think about Christ and what he endured on our behalf, um, sometimes we just think about the sins that have been committed, right? We think about um, the bad things that we have done that that nailed him to the cross as a hymn, like it was my sin that held him there. Um, we think about that. What we don't think about as often sometimes is the fact that, like Romans says, creation is constantly groaning for the return of Jesus. And so sometimes that groaning doesn't have much to do with what we individually do and the choices that we've individually made. Sometimes it's just the result of living in a fallen body and living in a fallen world. And part of living in a fallen world is that shame is our constant companion. Again, I'm not talking about the times that we've done something wrong and we need to repent, but those feelings of insecurity, those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of just not being enough. Um, And that is like, we are part of the creation that's really groaning for relationship with Jesus and really groaning for him to come back and make things right because this world is not a perfect place um, until he returns. It is a place where we experience loneliness. It is a place where we experience loss. It is a place where we experience emptiness. And apart from him, um, those feelings just kind of multiply and fester. And turning towards him is an amazing way to continue to see glimpses of the eternity that he offers us, which is free of shame and every other bad feeling and every other infirmity that we have. Um, And so he is constantly, constantly offering himself to us and offering peace to us. Um, Because so often that's the opposite of shame, right? That's the opposite of that really loud voice that tells us that we're not good enough, that we'll never amount, that we're too weak, that we're too frail. It's peace, it's silence, it's um, just abiding in Jesus. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. Um, Jasmine Holmes, you can find her at jasminelholmes.com. The book is the most recent book, Never Cast Out, How the Gospel Puts an End to the Story of Shame. If you're saying to yourself, um, you know what, I, um, I need some help with this. 
Um, we recognize that the story of shame is a powerful one, but Jasmine's going to help you experience that even stronger than shame are the arms of the one um, who carried your shame, and he will never cast you out. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me again. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. Hey, just a quick reminder, we've got copies of Jasmine Holmes' Never Cast Out to give away. So to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this special edition of Mornings with Carmen during this holiday week. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day and God bless. Carmen LeBurge. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Remember, it's your prayerful and faithful financial support that makes both the live show and the podcast available. Make your gift at MyFaithRadio.com.